0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today.
1: Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Finds.
1: We are taking the gospel to the world,
0: pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Finds. Welcome to Today with Jeff Finds. My name's Aaron. What do you think of when you think about renovations? Maybe you think of challenges or trials. Well, that's what Pastor Jeff expects from this series for you and I as we renovate our hearts. Now this whole series is about a change that is going to happen in our hearts, but it's not going to come without challenges and trials. Today, Pastor Jeff brings us the next message in this series, and we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians chapter 2. He'll outline for us the four different victims in a tragedy and how to understand how God operates in times of trial. Here's Pastor Jeff with today's message.
1: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians 2, 13. And uh, while you're doing that, one verse, one powerful verse in our series of Renovation of the Heart, and while you're doing that, Philippians 2, 13, uh, I'd like to ask you a couple questions, okay? Here's the first one. Do you believe that God is good? Wow. Okay, you're not sure. Come on now. Do you believe that God is good? Okay. And uh, don't say it if you don't think so. Okay. Second, do you think that God is good all the time? All right. Now, you know, when I ask you questions like that, I'm setting you up. You know that. That's why some of you are thinking, I'm not sure if I want to say. Sometimes. You're in seasons of life. Well, that's a tough question to answer. I'm doing this because I made a commitment to a family a lot of years ago. And some of you remember Adriana. And I will talk about her about every probably eight months. And I do that because I made a commitment to her mother and her father that I would never let our church forget her. And so if you don't know her, you're about to find out who she is. Uh, she, was a, she was nine years old when I first met her. The elders had been praying for her in the cafe, and she was in a wheelchair. She contracted a disease that is very rare uh, among older people and even more rare against younger people. It's where there's an internal hardening of the organs, and basically you, you start to disintegrate and you die very young. So I met her when she was nine years old her parents were distraught they were just a wreck this was you know uh, this was the young girl a father a mother loved her so much so active so full of joy even when i met her in the wheelchair she was still laughing and joking she was there was never a time i can remember with adriana that she wasn't happy even though she was going through a miserable life at so young they tried all kinds of remedies and cures nothing seemed to work so they Finally decided a bone marrow transplant, and she was about ten or eleven at this time, no, actually more like twelve. So she went with her mother to Seattle, stayed her father stayed behind, of course, what this this caused a lot of, of this hap- often happens when a child suffers so much that the parents become estranged from one another because they're so engulfed with trying to cure the child that they grow apart from one another. And the bone marrow transplant was so painful by the end of that journey, and we're talking from the age of 9 to 13 now, that Adriana finally said to her mom something you'd never want to hear as a parent from your child. She said, let me, let me just die and go home and be with God. It's too painful. And so we sat with Adriana over at her home in San Dimas the night that she did die. And I remember that we were singing and trying to comfort and encourage, and the end was so Painful. And and I think a lot of us struggled with okay, God, I got that you're not going to heal her. We prayed that and you've obviously decided not to, but does the the end have to be so long? You know, and the the prayer that we were praying by that time was God, just take her. Take her now. No more pain, no more suffering. And so, can I ask the question again? Do you believe that God is good? And, And do you believe that God is good all the time? Do you believe then that God would ever allow you to suffer? Yes. Do you believe that God is ever surprised at your suffering? So you never think there's a time when God says, whoops, I didn't see that coming. No. Do you believe that God is all powerful? Yes. He can do whatever he wants. Yes. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes. And you say, what does this have to do with this theme of renovation? Absolutely everything. Everything. Now, this sermon has two parts to it, and I want you to bear with me on this, okay? The first part is very abstract, and if you're in a time in your life when you're suffering, this isn't going to help you. This is a message, this is part of what I do to equip you to be able to answer questions from people who are asking questions, because this issue is a, is a primary issue with people who find it hard to have faith and trust in God. When they see the pain and suffering in the lives of people, especially in the lives of children. That's why I used Adriana as an example. So The first part, I need you to take a deep breath and let me do this work and I need you to concentrate because it's important. Then I want to move away from the abstract into how do we help those who are born again to deal with these seasons of their lives like Adriana and like Adriana's mom and father and her family how do you deal with that how do you how do you possibly go on see when I ask you if God is good if you if things are okay in your life right now you're going to say yes with vigor but I guarantee you if things are hell right now in your life you're going to have a hard time shouting that you may believe it but you're not in the mood to say it right now so go with me through the first part and then let's move together to the second part here's the first part When a tragedy happens, like with Adriana, there are four victims. Four. The first victim is the child who loses her life. But is it not true that God can recover from this loss? And the reason that God can recover from this loss. Now, I told you this is the abstract part. I'm not looking to this to comfort you. I'm looking at you to think about this from a logic perspective. Since to God... Our entire existence on earth is represented by this line. Eternity is represented by this line. And notice it doesn't stop. Since God is the author and sustainer of all life, then when a a young girl dies, although she may die, she still lives. Because the God who gave life the first time is able to give life the second time. So even though she stops existing on earth, she doesn't stop existing. So that God sees every life through the lens of eternity. Which enables him to do what he'll do here because he knows this is the reality. So to the skeptic I would say, well, yes, there's pain here. But God can recover because the God who gave life the first time gives it the second time. And the second life is far greater than the first life. Right? Now again, if you're not in the midst of this, it's not going to help you that much. But this may prepare you for something in the future. That's why it's brilliant in the mind of God concerning the resurrection of Jesus. God could have done anything to show That Jesus was God in the flesh. He chose a resurrection. Why? Because the biggest issue we all have is why, if God is God, do we suffer so much here? And the answer is we don't know. But what we do know is it's what? The weight of glory. The weight of glory. What we endure here is nowhere near worth comparing with what we will experience here. And for Paul to say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then you have to ask, how can dying be gained unless it is a life more beautiful and ultimate than the life here? This is not equality. It's not like, well, I'll trade this for that. It's not equality. The second life, the latter life, is far more glorious, far more, far more valuable than the life we live here. The weight of glory, C.S. Lewis said, the weight of glory, the weight of glory, so that there may be a finality to existence here, but not to existence itself. And what is to come, according to scripture, is far, listen, it's not, it's not merely far greater, but it's actually the way things God intended them to be from the beginning. So the life that is lost is not lost when it is in the hands of the one who made it and sustains it. It may cease to exist here, but it doesn't cease to exist we are eternal. We are more than our bodies, and you know that. The real use on the inside, the soul, and it lives forever. How do you destroy non material? You don't. The soul is meant to exist. Second victim is now the one who has to stay behind, the one who grieves and survives the loss of the person they loved. Okay, so fine. The person we've lost, they're gone. They're with God, but what about us now? We stay behind, and we have memories. And we have pain and suffering because of the person that we've lost. How do we deal with that? Someone has said the view from the hearse is a painful one. The one who's died, they may be in a good space, but what about those of us left behind? For most of us, when that happens, questions come like, why? God, I don't get it. This person was a good person. We start, th- we start playing the morality card. I do it, you do it, we do it. This was a good person. Don't we need more good people left behind? Why do you keep taking the good people? Why don't you remove the evil people? And if you need some names and addresses, I've got them for you. <laughs> so it's the why, why them, why them, why not why not th- those people? And then there's the void that we fill. And I go back to something, and if you ever wonder, why does Pastor Jeff say the same thing over and over? It's because there are some things worth repeating, because I figure if I repeat it enough, sooner or later you'll be able to say it. And when Job went to God and asked him, Why? Why, if, if, remember, God, if you can just explain to me why. Because Job 1-1 tells us he was a blameless and righteous man. And yet he lost all of his kids, all of his livestock. He lost everything, man, everything. And he ends up laying on a, a, a bed of, of ash where just something soft that would remove the pain from the physical source. And he says to God, God, if you'll just explain to me why this is happening, then I'll be able to endure it. And Job, what, what happens? God comes to him and says, Job, Job, Job. Job, where were you when I made the foundations of the earth? And remember what we said. God asked him those series of questions to get Job to open up within his own assumptions. Job, you think that you'll be able to endure it if you fully and exhaustively understand it? and Then God says, Job, have you ever been to the very... Expanse of the constellations. Do you know how deep and wide space really is? Do you know what's all? Do you know what's out there? Do you understand how the sun sets and rises? Job, have you been to the depths of the ocean? Do you know how deep the ocean really? Do you know what's down there? Have you ever been there? And then he goes to something simple. Do you understand how a deer gives birth to the young in the wilderness? That's and basically what God is saying is, Job, Job, there's a thousand things that you readily accept every day for which you do not have exhaustive understanding your pain is no different. I often wondered why God didn't give Job the reason, because you and I know it, because we know the upper level story, but Job can only see the lower level story. But I'm afraid that if God would given Job an answer for why he's suffering the way that he's suffering, then you and I might read it and think that's the answer for us. But the truth is, the answer is different for every person, depending on what season of life, depending on what God's trying to do, depending on his ultimate objective. The other thing is, what about those who are left behind? What about those of us who suffer? But Job also helps us to answer that because he writes in Job 42 near the end of the book, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What's he saying? He's saying that, you know, there's a glimpse of God that you get in pain that you would never get in pleasure. You're going to see God in a way that you've never seen him before. And you're not going to do that in pleasure when everything's going well. Habakkuk does the same thing. It's not just Job. Habakkuk says this though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. These are real people penning real words who are suffering real tragedies. These are not abstract events. And in both cases, the authors basically say this. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know this. My Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And I know even now, he says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me light on my feet. He enables me to go to places I never thought I could go. So that the message of the Bible is that although you may never have an exhaustive understanding of what's happening in your life, God does promise you a prevailing presence to walk you through every step of the way. And the thing to do when you're going through difficulties is not run from God, because if you run from God to what are you going to go? Run to God and the Bible says that God reveals himself in special ways. You will see things that you usually don't see. You will feel things that you don't usually feel. You will be able to do things you didn't think you could do. For the born-again person, what God accomplishes in you during the tragedy is just as important as the tragedy itself. So yeah, you're going to have doubt fear and anxiety and stress. It's still going to come, but it's all going to come in the context of trust. And for the born-again believer, you are going to have doubts, and God is big enough to handle them. But there's an overarching trust in your life to know that God is sovereign. And somehow through the midst of this, you know down deep inside that he's got this. And that's why sorrow may be peripheral, but joy remains central to your life. In the most famous verse probably ever written in literary antiquity, David in the midst of his suffering says this, and you know it well, even though I walk. Through the darkest valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. They give me guidance. They give me wisdom. They give me direction. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You sustain me with spiritual food. He says. Even when I'm physically falling apart. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will draw strength from your presence. Even when I think I can't go on. So. The first victim, the one who lost, is not really lost but found in the presence of God. The second victim, the one who remains, God doesn't leave them abandoned or orphaned but he reveals himself, he becomes revealer and comforter to the one he requires to go through the difficult time. Now I know we're still in the abstract. Third. The third victim is the skeptic who stands by and condemns the act and the resulting loss as wicked or evil. This is one of the questions we face as apologists all the time. People will say, you know, I just can't find it in my heart to believe in your God because man, if I were God, I sure wouldn't run the universe like this. And they would say, because there's so much evil and wickedness in the world, I don't believe there's a God. Now you've heard me deal with this before. There's a problem there because if God is not real, then you really shouldn't be upset. Because... If, if God is not real, then life is not sacred. Then we're nothing but a bunch of chemicals here by accident. So when someone dies or someone suffers, you should just understand. In the words of Tennyson, that evolution is red in tooth and claw. And it's all just dumb, blind luck. In fact, it's the survival of the fittest. So if someone suffers and dies, it's because they're not fit. So they're not surviving. It's the gene pool strengthening and shedding the weak. So if that's true, there is no God, then there should be no pain. You should be, there should be no sadness because of pain and suffering. In some regards, there should be a little bit of elation. You say, well, how's that? Well, if we indeed are the random product of evolution, then aggression and domination are good things, right? If this is an evolutionary world, micro macro-atheistic evolution, then the reality is that we are just shedding the bad things of Life, so that the ones who are good can be even more strengthened and humanity can prosper. But you know in your heart, that's baloney. Because you know that life is sacred. And that there is love. And that there is value. But that can only exist in a created scenario where God exists. So the point is that you have to resolve the issue of pain and suffering in the context of God. You can't resolve it outside of God. Because outside of God, you can't even defend the very question. But inside, we do have to resolve it. We have to come up with some answers. And I'm not saying that we'll have all the answers. I mean, if we had all the answers, who would we be? Donald Trump. (laughs) That is not a political statement. It's just a little joke. It's just a little joke. It's just a little joke. That's all it is. (laughs) We'd be who? We'd be God. We'd be God. And we're not God. And I remember Jeff Vines, this pastor, one time saying this. It's pretty bad when you're quoting yourself, isn't it? The things I do not understand do not change the things I do. And I've always said that. In the deepest, darkest moments of my life, when my mom died, when we lost our first child, when those things happen, I am confused. I do struggle. But just because there are things I don't know or understand doesn't change the things I do know. There is a God. And that God loves me because he gave his own son for me. And that never changes. There is a greater evil, though, than pain and suffering in the world. There is a greater evil than death. and Do you know what it is? God can recover from your death. He can make life again, and it's going to be far greater than the previous life, but you can't recover from spiritual death. If you choose to live your life apart from God, separating yourself from him and living contrary to his purposes, spiritual death you can't recover from. Spiritual alienation And in the words of C.S. Lewis, God looks you in the eye and says, okay, not my will but yours be done. If you choose to live away from God, there's no recovery. Every answer to the problem of pain, every answer that I've ever heard, not only fails to satisfy, it fails to even justify the question. And then the fourth victim is the questioner who asks this, how is it that God could be sovereign over death but we do not individually have the same right to take a life? This is what I've heard more recent. In other words, here's what it's saying. How come God gets to choose who lives and dies, but I don't? Well, my first response is, well, that's what you're doing through abortion. You're you're making yourself God. You decide who lives or dies for convenience or for other purposes. But there is a difference between you and God, and I hope you know what it is. The reason God can determine who lives or dies is because he has the character To make the right choice and the power to restore life after it's been taken away. You don't have that power. So God can do with us here what he wants knowing that it's a temporary condition and the weight of glory. The weight of glory. What we suffer here can in no way be compared with what is going to be revealed in us. My friend says this, God alone can allow tragic events because he alone can restore life through tragedies and reveal the destructiveness of sin through tragedies, being perfect in his decisions, pure in his reason, and able to give strength to those who seek his comfort. We cannot claim such absoluteness. Our characters are not pure. But you know, more than this, the thing that's really helped me in this and the thing that the Bible teaches, if you just imagine the world full of dots and every dot, every dot Billions of them represents a life. Every life impacts another to some degree in close proximity. Everything that happens to me impacts you. Everything that happens to you impacts people around you. And so God in his infinite wisdom is the only one that is able to know what has to happen in every dot for all dots to be pulled upward toward him. It doesn't mean that every dot will be. Some people will still use their freedom to reject God. But God knows that every event that happens in every life impacts not only you, but impacts people around you. And the reality is that sometimes what happens to you is not for you. It's for somebody else. Now, I've seen in my own life sometimes the illness of a father will bring the children to God. Sometimes the death of a mother will turn the hearts of the children toward each other. Sometimes the loss of a job will catalyze faith and trust in God's provision. And only God is wise enough to bounce all these little dots all together to accomplish his ultimate purpose. This is what I've been trying to say for a long, long time going back to Sam Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings trilogy where he asked that question when he really discovers that Gandalf, his friend that he thought was dead, is actually alive. He asked the question, does that mean that one day is everything going to become untrue? And the answer, of course, for the Christian is yes. All those times that appeared to be senseless in your life, all those times where no good seemed to come out of anything, all those times that seemed to be a waste, was because you're not God. But one day you'll see how God put all the little dots together and how every event in every life worked together to fulfill His ultimate purpose. Every event, you'll see how they're connected, how God's good and perfect plan. In other words, from a total philosophical point of view, the pain that you're experiencing is not a waste. It is for the glory and the work of God. You say, I have a hard time with that. Well, I go back to the cross one last time. Did it appear that evil was winning? Did it appear that God had lost control?
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: And the idea is that God makes a choice and then he acts accordingly. I know of another explanation for this verse than this, that it is God who decides what he's gonna allow into your life and what he's gonna prevent from entering your life, not you. And whatever God decides to allow or to prevent, your job is to receive it, embrace it, and allow God to do his work.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fiennes wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I break. I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today Today Today